afternoon, good morning, good evening. Welcome once more to the All About Windows Phone Insight Podcast. I'm Ewan Spence, uh, and we have a veritable smorgasbord of punch bagology for the next half hour or so as we look at the dust that is still settling uh, after uh, Microsoft's purchase of one of Nokia's divisions, leaks, softwares, reactions, and such like. To join us uh, this week to provide a different, slightly less cynical voice, Steve Litchfield. You want a less cynical voice from me? You're crazy. Hello, everyone. I just want to see if it's possible. And we have the bruised and battered Rafe Blanford, if you were listening to the 361 Degrees podcast. Rafe, apparently it's all gang up on Blanford week because it's all your fault. Yeah, it seems to happen quite a lot on the 361 Degrees podcast. But yes, we're a week on from the announcement that Microsoft would be buying Nokia's device and services division. I think some of the fallout is sort of still continuing. People are still getting their heads around this, and that, that certainly applies to me. Uh, so it's going to be a good opportunity to you know, talk about some of our things. Now we've had a, a chance to digest it, but maybe I could put in a request that you're not quite so beastly as that nasty uh, Mr. McLeod and Mr. Smith on when 361. I ever been beastly to you? Uh, I'm sure you could find an excuse here. And- when have I ever become a great big eight-foot-high blue-furred monster... Who sounds like the guy from Cheers? Uh, yes, I'm not sure I really see you as beasts. You're more of a kind of a rogue. Yeah, I can go with that. Fair enough. Okay, there we go. That speaks gambit. Right then, uh, let's um, let's start off with a, a, a reader question because I think uh, this is a very good jumping point. And uh, Steve, I'm going to come to you first on this one, given that uh, you weren't around for last week. The question comes from Adrian Buggle. Um, apologies for the video there, Adrian. Um, if you had a time machine. They could take you to a specific moment and allow you to speak to the Nokia board. What point in time would you choose and what would you tell them? Now, there are two qualifiers here. Um, Steve, you're not allowed to mention Xenon Flash. <laughs> and, and Rafe, you're only allowed to jump to one moment in time. For, for some reason, I don't get a condition in Adrian's question. So there we go. Steve, time machine, one moment, go. This is going to sound like a really obvious answer to people who know me well and people who know me from the other All About site, All About Symbian, and also, I guess, All About Mego. And um, I also write for Android sites. So I'm fairly well-traveled in terms of mobile platforms. But I would, of course, go back to the very first month of 2011. Um, now, Nokia board had hired Steve Neelop. He'd come from Microsoft. So he, I don't believe all the conspiracy theories, but surely in the back of his mind, he was quite friendly towards Microsoft and the Windows Phone team. It was fairly fairly obvious which way he would eventually plump down i think I, if i went go back to the nokia board early 2011 i'd say this windows phone thing you need to have more options open this this could go horribly wrong certainly don't burn your bridges don't declare symbian is dead until you absolutely got a successor ready to roll put more resources behind Mego. get that could be a really great os and also don't rule out android in other words put more options on the table so that in a year after that, January 2012, they might have four or five different options all open. Say, right, that's the one that's going to go for it. We'll take, pick that one. As it was, they kind of burnt their bridges, burnt Symbian, burnt Mego. That, those, those ecosystems kind of started dying from that moment on. And it took them a full year and a half before Windows Phone was anywhere near taking up the slack. Um, I just think they, they, they did it all wrong. They should have had more options, more options earlier and gone with that. I 
do you, do, you, do you think you could intervene as late as that first month in January? Because surely the decision by the board would have been made far earlier. Surely by choosing ELOP, they must have implicitly acknowledged that they were going to go Windows, not Android. No, no. Everything I've read implies that the decision to actually go with Windows Phone was done fairly late on, before that meeting in February 2011, uh, before Mobile World Congress, when it was all announced. Uh, I mean, maybe Rafe, Rafe can back me up on the anecdotal evidence here, but as far as I'm aware, they were deciding between Android um, uh, and a Windows Phone and Symbian slash Mega as three different options fairly late in the day. And it was Stephen Elop and Joe Harlow who came along and said, right, now this is the way we're going. This is the decision. We're going to stick to it. We're going to announce it with the world. We're going to do a you know, burn our boats, as it were, and, and stay in the brave new world of Windows Phone. I, th I think it happened fairly late in the day. Rafe? Yeah, I think I can back that up in terms of the decision-making. I think it probably took place after Christmas, so, you know, January, February, and then it was actually approved by the board just a matter of a couple of days before the announcement actually got made. At, at the same time, I, I think it's fair to acknowledge that the board of uh, directors in hiring Stephen Elock, recognised that a, a change had to be made. I mean, if you remember, the other candidate was Ansi Vanyoki, who was the internal candidate, who I think quite obviously would have been backing the status quo situation. And so there was an acknowledgement that there might need to be a change. Uh, I don't think it was Microsoft preordained by any means. In some ways, actually hiring someone from Microsoft meant there was going to be if anything, a closer look to make sure that that was the right option, because you know, purely from a, a legal and a regulatory point of view, and what, one of the things we're sort of implicitly acknowledging here is it's not a decision that just got made by Stephen Elop. He didn't just turn up to the office one day and go, yeah, I think we'll make Windows phone devices. If anything, this was something that was approved by the board of directors after it was presented by Stephen Elop and his leadership team. E equally well, do acknowledge that um, Stephen Elop was kind of the one who led that decision but it kind of means there wasn't anyone brave enough to stand up uh, and say no. And there's a lot of controversy. You ask different people in Nokia, you know, people who have left, uh, whether Mego and Symbian was viable, and you'll get a range of different answers. And I think it's a bit of an unknowable. The, the kind of the problem I have with your answer there, Steve, is you're, you're basically saying go multi-platform and have lots of different Nokia devices running different platforms. Would that be a fair assessment? Not necessarily different devices, different, different, not necessarily different retail devices. We're not talking about launching production units and all these platforms. Right. Simply for that year of transition to have development going on internally, producing prototypes, test builds of the OS, and find out which are practical, which are competitive with the iOS, which are competitive with Android. And I think after six months of, of that sort of process, yes, that would have cost money. Yes, that would have cost manpower, but nothing, absolutely nothing compared to the amount Nokia's stock an overall valuation dropped in those those six months. So surely some extra R and D work there would have given them lots more options yeah. at less cost. Yeah, I mean, I think it's I, I think it's probably pretty self evident that there would have been Android and other kind of skunk work devices running somewhere in the background. And I wonder how much doing that kind of level of research and development uh, would have made a difference. I think what we probably could agree that it's not sustainable doing that in the long term because of the the costs involved um, to kind of provide some perspective on that if you think about what is required to produce a device it's a certain amount of design and you know components and all that putting that together but you then need to integrate it and have experts and so it costs money to kind of produce each device and some of it is a you know cost per device every one you produce but quite a bit of it is kind of a sunk capital cost i.e it costs 100 million to produce one device and it's not going to be equal between all the platforms and everything like that 
Uh, but the reason Nokia couldn't do, say, Android and Windows Phone was they didn't have the kind of the costs in structure in place to do that. It would have just cost too much money. And we've seen now that they've got to a, a point where their cash position has become vulnerable. It's not quite clear how vulnerable, but I think it's fair to say that's one of the reasons that the sale happened. And given that Microsoft had put, you know, um, a billion in platform payments in, plus probably some more as well, um, Nokia would have run out even quicker if it had been, you know, trying to do a, a multi-platform approach. But it's interesting you, you suggest that kind of a multiple approach, Steve, and maybe just give it a bit more time. I wonder whether they had the confidence that they were able to read what would have been the outcome for each of those. You know, Mego and the N9 got released anyway, and I think anyone who's used the N9 will recognise it's a, a fantastic device, but I'm not sure it was really quite suitable for the mainstream and thinking about some of the level of bugs that were still in it even after that big effort, and particularly if you then want it to go and be on a range of devices. I don't think you ever answer that question satisfactorily, but yeah, it's an interesting answer from you, Steve. Yeah, well, you got your talk, talk there about having uh, the cost of maintaining uh, multiple products and multiple different operating systems. And yes, I accept that it will be more expensive in terms of software development, but they already had the N9 as a piece of hardware, which could have been updated to, you know, feature pack two, three, four. And the, as it is, the N9 is pretty usable, but with more software development on existing hardware that's already been designed, already been manufactured, mm-hmm. maybe with an overclocked chip inside. Symbian, they had the Nokia 808 PureView already in development. They actually released that as well in uh, spring 2012. And that was a darn good bit of hardware that I'm still using today with one of my SIM cards. So they already had these two hardware platforms just waiting for software effort. It wasn't as if they had to design a whole new phone, a whole new hardware, a whole new chipset from scratch. Yeah, no, it's, a, it's a good point. I mean, I think the obvious uh, reply to that is that it wasn't necessarily about the hardware that was in the pipeline, which, as you quite rightly say, was already in development. It was about what was going to come next. And actually, one of the things that I don't think is acknowledged very well in all of this uh, debate is I'm not sure how much the software platform or the OS itself mattered all that much next to all the other things we associate with a modern smartphone in terms of services and apps. And uh, it was kind of the idea of that's why Windows Phone and Android became kind of the two choices that most people saw as realistic. Uh, but I, I guess that's a separate <laughs> a separate debate altogether. All right then, Rafe. You're turning the time machine. Okay, it's it's <laughs> difficult. Um, just, just for the record, I've already got mine written down. I'm not going to change my answer. Okay, well, that's that's good to know. I think you have to go further back in time because I actually think you can find the, the genesis of all of Nokia's problems quite a long way back. I would go, you know, I, I'm tempted to go all the way back to 2003 or, or someone like that, but I think actually a time traveller appearing and trying to convince the Nokia board of directors or something at that point would have been next to impossible. So I'm going to plump for a sort of around the 2006-2007 date and sort of say to them, look, you've already seen the future. You know, you've got the stuff right about services and social networks you actually need to act on that and i think the big problem was that software engineering was treated much like nokia had treated hardware engineering and you can look at some specific examples of this um i think it was referred to as the matrix strategy by uh ollie and it was something that uh ollie pecker later took on and it was the idea that you could treat software engineering a bit like a hardware production line and pick different components off it and it meant that kind of Symbian development itself became extremely 
unwieldy and there was also internal competition going on and this dates back right to the sort of 770 which was the original kind of linux tablet and there was competition between um memo as it then was and symbian that that got more and more pronounced as time went on and i think that was very unhealthy for the company but it, it, it came out of i think nokia being a traditionally a hardware company and it never quite seemed to get that software execution right. I don't think it was the problem of identifying what the future trends were. You look at a device like the 770 or the Ovi service strategy or all kinds of other kind of future trends, you know, even something like Nokia Download, which was kind of the original app store. Yeah, you know, all, Engage was the original app store. What's the or or Engage is, you know, the importance of mobile gaming. All of those were, you know, very far, you know, in the future looking moves. It was very precedent in, in many ways. And so you can't help but come back to that, whether it's the management of the software engineering. It's a topic I'm not fully qualified to talk about, to be quite honest. And, you know, you will talk to a lot of Nokia people and they will talk about the various infighting or the mismanagement. Um, but to give you an example of it, certain decisions didn't get made because they were regarded as maybe being a bit too expensive or having a negative effect on the margin, i.e. how much profit you made from a device. And so, for example, that's why touchscreens didn't get developed, uh, didn't get adopted earlier on in Nokia. And you could, you know, talk about maybe the arrogance of the company. We saw it first, I think, with flip phones and then it also applied with touchscreens. So that's why I think you need to go back that far 2006 and sort of shake the board of direction and go you've got the vision you've got it all right you just need to execute on it properly and as i say i think you have to say just change the way that you're thinking about developing and executing your software strategy nothing wrong with the hardware you generally got that right um, you need to pick out some of the right hardware i did like touch screens or any other element mean, you might choose to to think about um, so that would be my answer to the the time machine question. And if that happened, I think there probably still would have been issues with Symbian. I think that was probably irreversible even at that stage. Um, but you can look and wonder what might have happened if Nokia had chosen to release a, a Linux-based platform, maybe even you know, license-free, you know, Android-style, sort of open source, particularly if they'd combine it with Qt or something similar that they may have acquired a few years earlier. And then we'd be looking at a, a platform provided by Nokia that is in the same position that Android is now. And Nokia would have sought to compete on the strength of its kind of uh, hardware design, its uh, economies of scales and the advantage of distribution and logistics, which, you know, back then were the real strength of Nokia and where, you know, really did well in the mobile phone market. Honestly, though, I think it would have still had enormous competition from the outside. You know, it wouldn't exist in a vacuum. Um, and you, uh, you know, I said on the 361 degrees podcast, and I know not everyone's listened to that bus, so I'll say it here. I actually think the mobile industry changed so much moving from mobile phones to smartphones. It's almost unrecognizable kind of the business and the devices and the business models that get used. And, you know, transitioning through that is incredibly difficult to do. Uh, so slightly uh, long winded answer there. But yeah, I'll, I'll hop in my machine and go back to 2006. For a minute that I thought you were going to take my answer, right? Right? Okay, so if we just turn back to Adrian's original question, you know, you're allowed to go back and speak to the Nokia board. When and what would you tell them? So I'd go back in time to September 2005. September 2005. 2005. Ah. Right, Steve, anybody? And the message would very, be very, very simple. Don't hire OPK. 
he will completely jam up the internal logistics. He doesn't know how to transition between platforms, and he will keep you on the same Symbian platform for far too long, slowly burning margins to maintain market share until you hit a cliff edge. Don't hire OPK. Hire David Wood. <laughs> and, here's my, and here's my thinking, okay? If we look back at the major PDA and smartphone operating systems, there's only ever been one successful OS transition that's maintained an almost one-to-one relationship, and that would be Cybo to Epoch 32, from the Science Series 3 to the Science Series 5. Complete code base change with little tweaks on OPL, but essentially they, they, he passed the innovator's dilemma as himself uh, and Potter uh, at Sign. Potter probably wasn't ready to do CEO again. In that case, you had Levin doing it anyway. Um, you had somebody who understood process, who understood software, who understood hardware. And when you think about it, 2005, that would be when the decision was made to make the N95. And what would happen after the N95 would be the direct choice of the CEO who was appointed 1st of October 2005. OPK decided that he would have the N series, the E series, the non-numbered series, and you essentially had three platforms running under one platform, all fighting for the same resources. We can remember our reviews at the time. It's like, why is this E-series device not got the N-series music player? And so on and so on and so on. Yeah, it was I that kind need, of factory needed, approach, wasn't it? Yeah, I that- think you needed somebody that understood process, that understood engineering time, that had a, a, a knack of being able to sell and do the computer. And I know he will blush, and I suspect that you, you'll be listening DW2, but OPK was the wrong choice. And looking back, with some hindsight, I think the correct choice for Nokia would have been to bring in somebody external at that point to force change, to break out of the innovator's dilemma. David Wood... CEO of Sign of Nokia, Stroke Sign in those days, we would have called it that, on the 1st of October 2005, would have been my message to the Nokia board. Well, I, I'm, I think you're right about an external person, whether uh, David Wood, who is a, a friend of the All About Sites, is the right person, I might be a little more sceptical about. But I think you All might... right, they can hire Steve! <laughs> <laughs> but uh, actually, you look back to that period, and I think you can go even further back to that. People may remember something called the Hillman Project, which was really uh, something a, a UI that came out of uh, Cyan, and it was going to be in that same period of time when Cyan was sort of transitioning into Symbian, and there was the kind of the Quartz uh, UI as well, which was... Yeah. And we all later became UIQ and Perl. Fifty was actually touchscreen enabled. The only thing it was missing was the touchscreen. All the code and all the hooks were there, and it was a touchscreen device in in software. But that's right. And Hilton was kind of a, a more advanced. But uh, I'd recommend people go and read uh, Andrew Olowski's history of this. And I'm sure if you type Hilton and the register into Google, you'll find it. And there's quite a big backstory there. And so this history of you know software choices and management goes a, a long way back but with all this speculation it's also probably fair to point out that the dates that both you and i have chosen were when nokia was really at its peak i mean totally dominant in the mobile industry in a way that really no other company is is now i mean you could maybe look at uh, samsung but even i think samsung didn't doesn't enjoy that kind of uh, market share there's far more players now and having the ability to sort of be far-sighted enough to say you need to change now, uh, well, as you incited the uh, innovators' uh, dilemma there, it's really, really the question. 
of being able to <laughs> convince a board of directors that you need to change now in order to be all right in five years down the road. And you might, in the meantime, have to sacrifice some of your shareholders' profits. That's a, a pretty big ask. But uh, there we go. I think that's a fairly convincing three answers to the time machine question. I think it's a fairly easy pickings in a sense, actually taking shots at things that uh, Nokia might have got wrong through the ages. <laughs> People can look up on the site. I've done various posts. I think one was five things Nokia got wrong. One was uh, 10 things Nokia got wrong. I suspect I could probably write, we could compile between us, 20 things they got wrong over the last 15 years. And most <laughs> Just of them 20? Quite, quite <laughs> obvious. Yeah, you I, told him not to mention Xenon Flash today, remember? Yeah, well, I mean, the, the, the thing about all of this is uh, you can look back with hindsight. It's very easy to pick out the mistakes, but making the right decisions um, you know, at the time is, is much harder. And, of course, yeah. pretty much all the outside observers don't have complete information. And on uh, the balance of probabilities, all the decisions that they made made sense at the time and were relatively well balanced and argued. And, and you have to say at the time, you know, on February the 10th, which of these platforms gives us the better chance of being big in two years' time? Now, to be fair, I think that Windows Phone would have given them a, gave them a bigger shot at being a bigger platform, but with a bigger risk came a bigger downside. And I think we said at the time, Ray, if we go back to, to those podcasts, I said that Nokia have literally decided to go all in and bet the company. And sometimes those bets don't work out. On the flip side, if they'd went with Android... You know, Samsung had a two-year lead. The Samsung Galaxy S2 is going to be announced two or three weeks after that and then available two months after that. There is not a cat's chance in Battersea that they would have had a capable Android device out much be in over 15 to 18 months, at which point the S3 would have launched and Samsung would have carried on quite happily, um, maybe losing 5% market share. But I still wouldn't have seen Nokia getting much above 10% market share of Android until it came out with their equivalent of the Android 920, uh, in which case they would, yeah, we don't know what the Nokia would have done to the to the plat platform wars that were going on. But Samsung were already so far ahead of Android that to say that if Nokia chose an Android, they would have been the Samsung. That I think we should be shooting down as false. Uh, uh, and you said it, you know, we don't don't know, and all of this is speculative. So I think it's an interesting debate, but uh, at some point it becomes largely academic, and you can't okay. prove it either well, either way. But I do want to just uh, reinforce something you said about the the Windows Phone choice is yep. that it was kind of an all-in decision, and it was quite clearly a risk that it wouldn't work out. But the downside, i.e. what happened if it didn't work out, was arguably less severe than any other option. So, uh, say the Symbian Amiga option ha had continued, who would then want to buy uh, you know, what was left of Nokia if it hadn't worked out? Well, it would be about the patents, about here maps, and you know, those bits are actually still alive and still separate, and that's what's going to be Nokia in the future. Uh, but the device and services business, it's hard to see where the value would be there apart from, you know, in factories and certain amount of distribution, maybe. And similarly, you could look at, you know, Android in the same way. Um, I think actually there, there's probably a bit more of an upside in that you could see a company like Lenovo or perhaps one of the other Chinese OEM buying it out for the brand and for some, some of the skills. The thing about Windows Phone is there was kind of this inevitable fallback option as soon as uh, Nokia started dominating Windows Phone, which I think in, in retrospect was fairly obviously going to happen with the amount of effort they were putting in. It became absolutely vital that Microsoft didn't let that fail. And so the downside was that Microsoft would pretty much be obliged to buy Nokia, which is, is what has happened. Now, you can debate about um, you know what the chance of Windows Phone succeeding that 
Nokia strategy was, um, I would say that it's the risk is very similar to what it would have been for Symbian um, or Mego or going Android. As I say, you can't know, but I, I think it's pretty hard to um, avoid the conclusion that actually the Windows Phone choice arguably had the smallest downside in terms of value that could be returned to, to shareholders. So maybe that was one of the reasons the decision got made. Um, it would be fascinating to go back and read the minutes of the, the board meeting and things like that, but I don't suppose they'll ever be public. No. And let's face it, Nokia at the moment have two loss-making departments, and that's device and services. Um, and whoever books all the flight going back and forth between Redmond uh, and Finland, uh, they've got rid of them, and they're still left with the... Uh, companies that make 50% of the gross income and probably deliver the majority of profits to Nokia shareholders. Yeah, that's true. I mean, perhaps with the exception of mobile devices, i.e. the feature phones. Um, but we've seen that they're starting to skate down. When you look at usage numbers, when yeah, you look that, at that, that, devices, a, it's on the way down. That's Nokia a declining business. Smart, yeah. And, you yeah. know, the NSN part, which is the infrastructure for, for networks, you know, that's not going anywhere. And I think we've said before that the here division has a, a lot of potential and we're seeing that this week at i think the motor shows that are going on kind of here auto with the connected car platform and so actually knock is kind of getting back into the the platform business in a way set in cars rather than mobile phones and you need the skunk works to be ready to buy yola in um, january 1st 2016 <laughs> yeah let's not have the sort of more ridiculous speculation Anything's possible, but having escaped from uh, mobile phones, I can't really see the board of directors wanting to go back into it again. An interesting decision. Speaking of going in and out of mobile phones, uh, do we have to talk about the impact that this has had on HTC and Samsung? We kind of skipped over this one last week, right? Let's let's start with the downside. Um, I've already written up uh, two articles on this on the website, uh, one covering HTC and one covering Samsung. Uh, let's, let's look at HTC. They must have looked at this news and just... Uh, that's it, game over. We're going to have to hope we can actually make this Android thing work. Yeah, I mean, the, the obvious thing is if Microsoft, its own hardware division, why would anyone want to license their platform? Um, because there's always going to be the internal teams having an advantage. I mean, the, the Motorola Google acquisition is a kind of case in point, and Google stressed very strongly that there was going to be you know, a wall between the two and there wouldn't be the exchange. But I'm not sure how much anyone yeah. believes that. That worked I've, so well for Palm Source, didn't it? <laughs> exactly. But actually, I think in the case of Google Motor, it probably has happened and they've been very uh, good about keeping to it. But you're not ever going to convince everyone. And Microsoft has basically said, no, we're not doing that. Of course, we're going to integrate them. That's obviously the sensible thing to do. But, you know, your HTC or indeed any other licensee, you're going... How are we going to compete against that? They'll have the advantage. They'll know what's coming down the track in terms of new software features. They can tailor the hardware towards that. They'll probably get early access to the source code so they can get their devices out quicker with the new versions and everything else. So it kind of leaves a question, why are we paying money uh, to Microsoft to license their software when we're a second-class citizen? Indeed. And if there was an upside of a significant volume of marketers, for example, if at the moment Windows Phone was on 20% market share at the moment, and you had, um, you know, so what's that? That's like five or six times, depending which region you're, between three and six times, depending what region you count, um, the number of people downloading applications, using the infrastructure, using the ecosystem, then you could possibly make an argument that, yeah, we are going to get shafted a little bit, but the upside is we can reach a lot of customers. Um, that's not there at the moment. You know, even it's if you not. would assume that there was a fair split between Microkia um, and HTC and the other partners in terms of market share, which, which there isn't. Well, this is what, you know, Terry Myerson said on the Windows Phone blog 
this week and saying you know there's an advantage you know it's kind of the rising tide floats all boats argument and, and there's a certain amount of validity to that and i think it's probably fair to say samsung and HTC have probably increased their windows phone sales as a result of uh, nokia coming in because operators are always looking for other hardware options and you know to an extent i think you can can make an argument there but it is a pretty weak one and certainly in terms of it being your only platform for me at least this is going to make hgc go well we may may keep a little bit of interest there because we'll get some demand from our uh, operator customers and samsung by the same token but that they're going to remain as they are now it's really just uh something they do as a secondary thing and for, for HTC at least Android is still what will dictate the success or failure of the company. And indeed but this is where I want to draw a distinction between HTC and Samsung. I actually think this will draw Samsung slightly closer to Windows though uh, simply because Samsung as we know right now is at the peak of powers. It, it is numero uno, head number one, big honche, cajones, the boss, whatever. Um, Apple fans are now in the background going, well, but when you look at volume and income and such, like, you have to say that Samsung is currently running the, the gamut of smartphones. They can't influence Apple. They can't touch iOS. They can't get any more advanced running of what iOS is happening except for what's delivered in the uh, patent court case papers that come towards them. But... They know how precarious it is and how quickly it can be to fall down, as they saw with Nokia and Symbian um, being partners uh, in, in Symbian OS, of course. They're going to want to make sure that they keep an eye on Windows Phone. Now, they're not going to go out, they're not going to publicize the phone, they're not going to give it a big flashy launch in New York and Radio City Hall and do some dodgy comedy around that. But I think they're actually going to carry on building good Windows Phone devices, not to market, not to sell but simply to keep understanding what's happening with Windows Phone to act as a little bit more of an early warning. Because if anything, if somehow Microsoft get up to 15 20% market share over the next two years, Samsung are going to want to know as soon as possible. They're either going to be want to know and be involved um, so they can join in with that market share or know what they need to counter with the Samsung Galaxy S6. So I actually think that while HTC are going to withdraw because they've only really got next year on one device and one iteration on that device. And then, you know, they will be need to join in a 1.5 billion bond from Microsoft so they can get through to the purchase point. Samsung are going to want to stay on top. And to do that, they need to have as much information as possible about their competition. So I actually think we are going to see more Windows phones from Samsung. Yeah, it's a good point. You and I don't think it's simple uh, to say just, there's going to be no other OEMs interested in in Windows Phone. It's more complex than that. I think you can give a good good shout there to Samsung, but I assume with that you're kind of assuming they may not necessarily be selling very many. They're kind of doing it almost just to maintain competency more than anything else. Exactly, yes. And much like the ATFS, which still surprisingly sold more than HTC devices, um, <laughs> the Taiwanese would be loving that one. Yeah, simply it's like, we're going to keep building these devices. We'll find a network provider in in, I don't know, some small, insignificant country, Wales. Uh, and, you know, yeah, no, it's out there, it's out there. Now tell us everything that's happening in the next version of the operating system. Yeah, and I think Samsung can achieve quite a few sales just on the basis of yeah. operators will be interested in a, a Windows phone device that isn't from Microsoft for, yeah. for balance reasons. You want us to keep building Windows 8 laptops, don't you? Well, then also it, it's kind of just... Uh, in, 
they've got the choice and that will be a good thing and samsung salespeople will be going and say oh we've also got some windows phone devices do you want to take some of them uh, yeah. you know i don't see a change from this um, you know nokia now microsoft's at 80 percent dominance at least in the time being but there's two other factors we should consider here now, that does assume that the kind of the windows phone business model remains the same uh, i.e that microsoft is charging a license fee uh, in that we should recognize that actually it's not a free android open source versus a cost windows phone because android does have you know patent costs associated with it now microsoft already does a certain amount of patent licensing associated with the windows phone license but it could do a little bit more of that such that actually windows phone doesn't look quite so expensive to license and so i'm not suggesting we'll necessarily get to the point where it appears on an equal footing with android although if nokia gets very aggressive about some of its uh, patent rights and licensing it's not that far away. Um, it still leaves the problem of Microsoft having advantage over all of its uh, competitors. And we've talked about, you know, trying to license and build devices. You know, there's plenty of examples from history. Um, but at the same time, I think you also need to consider that, you know, if, and that's kind of an assumption you have to make, that Windows Phone gets to 10% or 15% or more, it then becomes uh, a sustainable business potentially in a manufacturer going, well, we're going to provide alternatives to Microsoft devices, particularly maybe at the low end of the market or in specific niches that Microsoft doesn't address that will keep customers happy. And that can either be a direct consumer play or you can talk to operators. And I think particularly you'd have to look at some of the Indian and the Chinese manufacturers on a smaller scale who can be quite nimble about this sort of thing and kind of not necessarily out-innovate Microsoft's own hardware division, but sort of fill in some of the niches that it can't reach and you, know, you see this kind of thing happening in the Android world already. There are the, the big players, but there's also these small players who, because there's quite a lot of them, actually make up a significant chunk of the market. And so, uh, you know, I don't think we'll see Windows Phone necessarily become, you know, and Microsoft become like Apple, a completely vertical player. I mean, Microsoft will always be interested in licensing Windows Phone or perhaps even giving it away. I mean, if I was Microsoft right now, I would announce that there were going to be no fees associated with licensing Windows Phone for X number of years. And I think that would be a clever way to try and build up a bit of market share. And it can afford to do that now. And you know, it, it's worthwhile now that it's got control of hardware. And that might be just enough to make HTC go, OK, we'll, we'll keep at it or something to go, yeah, we'll put a bit more into this but more importantly i think actually it would uh, give rain to some of the maybe micromax or uh, xiaomi or some of the other chinese manufacturers go yeah we'll we'll take a look at that there's kind of no risk to us in doing so we can offer a windows phone uh, device as well and particularly with the way the hardware is going if it's snapdragon 800 on gdr3 you know you could probably do it on very similar hardware as well and it depends how much pre-integration Microsoft can do with Qualcomm. So, you know, this idea that immediately all other Windows Phone manufacturers will go away, I think is probably short-sighted. I mean, in, in the immediate future, both Samsung and HTC will have devices ready to roll out. Uh, I think particularly HTC, there's the Harmony device code name has been talked about a little bit, and we'll, we can expect to see that. I, I rather expect that to be based on the HTC One internals or something similar wait and see on that one uh, but sort of looking a bit further ahead than that there is clearly this microsoft has an advantage who want to compete with their own internal hardware division but nor do i think it's quite as simple as saying no everyone's just going to go and go and do their own thing because 
than just saying, oh, it's going to follow the same model as Apple when it tried to license its desktop stuff or maybe Palm and Palm Source. I think the industry have moved on a little since then. Indeed, yes. We will keep you up to date with all of those devices that are due to come out in the subcontinents over all about windowsphone.com. And of course, they haven't bought Nokia yet. (laughs) Let's be fair, you know, Samsung might come along with a counter offer. That would be interesting. That would give us something to write about uh, to the shareholders. Um, But um, I think in 99 universes out of 103, this deal is going to go through. But we, we should point out that it's still an offer from Microsoft yeah. to buy the division. It must, must go up to the shareholders. Um, because of the nature of Nokia, it's probably going to have to go through regulatory approval in Finland. Um, you might even have the EU suddenly just poke, poke their heads up and go, do you mind if we have a little look at that? We promise it won't take that long. Um, Definitely. So- I mean, you, you need an asterisk next to any time you talk about this for the next you know, four or five months. Uh, and the EU, you're right. I mean, all it will take is one of the competitors of Nokia and Microsoft saying to a regulator, we think you need to look at this very closely and provide some kind of compelling evidence. And I mean, you could talk about the loss of technology from Europe. I mean, the, there's fairly obvious answers to most of it in that you know, Nokia isn't going anywhere and all those staff are still going to be employed. It's not one of these destructive acquisitions because Microsoft doesn't have much of a devices business at the moment. Nokia is going to become that new business and they've already kind of made it quite plain that the operations in finland and other countries are, are going to remain in place and you could argue Ray, for example that um something like series 40 which is still about 50 percent of the phone market um is now being taken away from european control placed under american control where you have all the main operating systems and as we've seen recently with politics uh, nsa gthq and the spying that's going on in america having four major operating systems for, for mobile phones in america none in europe there might be some people in Europe, especially the Germans, who are a bit jumpy about maybe having Series 40 go over. Uh, I think you can probably get too much into kind of the what-ifs. I, I honestly don't we think We had a time machine a earlier in the podcast. Right? Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. I, I think the bigger issues would be um, probably around having Microsoft you know, dominant across a, a device and software business. It's very easy to answer because you know, it's basically from a competitive point of view. And Windows Phone is the third ecosystem. There's two bigger players. This move strengthens the third uh, ecosystem, arguably, and therefore is good from a competition point of view for consumers. Some of those uh, issues around uh, security, uh, yes, they probably are relevant, um, but I suspect Series 40, uh, you know, at, at most it would be a few provisions about where that was being uh, developed and this kind of idea that operating systems or platforms are, are developed in one location is a bit inaccurate anyway uh, and you know in the case of android there's big offices in london and of course out in india and china as well and um, much the same will apply to ios as well and so it, they're, they're not delivered in just you know one floor of apple's head office in cupertino or um in google's case in the googleplex so uh, Okay, I'll, I'll agree it's a possibility, but as you said, 99 universes out of 103, I think it was, no problem, and I, as I do expect this to be nodded through from a regulatory point of view. Oh, there we go. And of course, our content on the site uh, will carry on. Uh, all about Windows Phone will still be bringing you all the best uh, articles uh, that we can come up with, different angles and such like, and uh, Steve, you can 
put the 1020 down now and tell us maybe what you're going to write about it rather than go, ooh, camera, ooh, camera, ooh, camera. <laughs> well, camera, the camera and the camera and the flash. Uh, so seriously, I get, I've get i done a load of uh, camera comparisons. But the unique selling point of 1020 is its camera. I don't think there's any surprise there. And the thing is, every time I think I've written the definitive camera comparison or article or review part of the 1020, I get people popping up in the comments saying, can you compare it to device X or Y? Or what's this like? Or what if you tweak those parameters? So I'm very sorry, Ewan, but um, tis, A, it's my speciality, and B, there seems to be some demand. So I'm, obviously the, the main thing I'm looking forward to is a proper UK or European retail 1020, so I can actually pop a blessed SIM in it and use it as a phone day-to-day, 24-7. But in the meantime, all I've got really is the camera to fiddle with, so I'm going to carry on doing that. So there we go. Do we look forward to that over the next couple of weeks then? Oh, yes. Yeah. So I'll keep it all coming. Don't worry. Are we allowed to mention a certain event which has now been teased on Nokia's Facebook page, Rafe? Yes, I think we can and talk about what's on the Facebook page. This is kind of a reference to the fact that the Nokia Lumia 1020 is now going on sale outside of the US. It's been kind of exclusive globally to AT&T, now in, for sale in China uh, and Germany and a couple of other markets, and we're expecting that to expand. I think the reference you're making there, Steve, is to the Nokia UK Facebook page where there's more information coming on Thursday, and we'll be bringing you more on that and kind of the details of kind of the UK launch availability and pricing. And I suspect that's when Steve will potentially be able to get his hands on uh, a device that isn't locked to a, a US SIM, and he can, as he says, put a, a SIM in his 1020, and maybe he'll report a bit about the telephone uh, aspects of it. Does it actually make calls? <laughs> I'm sure it does. <laughs> Although technically we don't know that. <laughs> It'll be a brand. My everybody else has told us it makes calls. <laughs> my biggest problem, actually, guys, is the fact that I had another showstopper. I was mentioning one of my other podcasts, and that uh, I've got some serious research to do for a feature on the site about secure databases where you keep pins and passwords and so forth. And that the two biggest ones I knew about, which are Handy Safe and Safe Wallet on other platforms, the developers of, of both of those have decided to throw in the towel on Windows Phone, which means I've got to think of an alternative. So I shall be researching, gen- gentle listeners, uh, a whole range of secure databases for Windows Phone and also how to get your data from other platforms, perhaps and Symbian in this case, uh, onto Windows Phone. So do look out for that. Oh, there we go. All of that uh, is coming up uh, as well as continued reviews of the hardware uh, that get actually software news and flows uh, as they come through on allaboutwindowsphone.com. Uh, it's a lovely period of change in September for the mobile world. Microsoft kicked it all off. Uh, we're going to have Apple shortly. Um, Nokia, as you've heard, we're going to be hitting stuff in the UK. Um, expect things on all the platforms. And I think well, the great thing about all of this, Rafe, is if we step back from just Windows and look at smartphones as a whole, at the end of September, the playing field is going to be completely different than what it was on the 1st of September. It is. I mean, we're coming into kind of the traditional uh, device announcement season for everything that comes out in, I guess, it's the pre-Christmas period where quarter four, where more devices get sold than any other time in the year. And, you know, Apple doing things. Samsung kind of kicked this off with their announcements at IFA with the Galaxy Note 3 kind of fabric device. Um, there's been a whole load of leaks about a Nokia device, the 1520 Bandit, which is a similar kind of a phablet device, halfway between a phone and a tablet with a a, a six-inch screen. And we're going to be hearing about GDR3, which is the next software update for Windows Phone that supports that and high-resolution screens and a few other things as well. Uh, we've just had Sony announce the uh, Z1, their kind of new Xperia phone with a, a camera that I think it's fair to say it doesn't get close to the 1020, but it probably sits between the tw- 
the 1020 and all the kind of the standard high-end camera phones uh, they did yeah. some interesting stuff with the, uh, the the Sony smart lenses as well kind of taking a, a lens to clip on the back of the camera I have to say I'm less convinced by that but as you say actually this evening Apple's going to be doing its iPhone announcements a lot of interest over whether the iPhone 5c will have a price point that sort of dictates Apple having a, a high-end strategy or just a gradual move down into the mid-tier. We don't actually know on that. That's probably the one bit of information that hasn't come out. Unusually, there's been a lot of leaks for Apple as well. And there will no doubt be some more device announcements uh, before time goes by. I mean, I guess also Google uh, KitKat could be put into that with 4.4 coming along. So, yeah, it's it's been a busy time. And you're right, by the end of the month, Actually, some of these devices will be available or will have been announced and we'll have a much clearer picture of what the next six months is going to look like. Indeed. And uh, we'll keep you up to all of that uh, on the podcast here uh, with the Windows One Focus up on the websites. And, of course, you'll be able to find all our writings uh, in other places as well. Just Google our names and you'll find out where we all do the... uh, sort of the moonlighting in the other columns and stuff. Uh, but for now, it all reminds me to say thank you for listening to the show. We're glad that you've come back the week after the announcement on the morning of the afternoon after the night before the day after the rest of Nokia's company life. No, I'm not doing Shakespeare this week. Uh, I'm just going to say goodbye to Steve Litchfield. Goodbye for now. And goodbye to Ray Blanford. Goodbye, everybody. And thank you all out there for listening. Goodbye, and we'll catch you in the next podcast. <laughs>